I'm JJ Walsh. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm based in Hiroshima, Japan. And today I'm talking with travel food specialist in Tokyo for Arigato Japan, Lauren Shannon. Thank you so much for joining, Lauren. Yeah, it's great to be here.、Um, I'm, I am so happy that you asked us, and I really love what you're doing. So thank you for, for including us in this grand experiment. Of course. We're so happy to talk to other. My travel is one of my passions and sustainable travel. So I'm really excited about what you do. And I think、uh, food tourism is definitely a reason people want to come to Japan. Hi, thanks for joining today. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, Check out inboundambassador.com and you can also find me on buymeacoffee.comslash JJ Walsh to get some bonus information and insights from the series. So, doing food tours, even during coronavirus, you've kind of transitioned online. So, we've got so many exciting things to talk about. Yeah, it's been an interesting year to be in tourism for sure. And I, I know a lot of the people that you've interviewed are in this industry as well. And yeah, I, I, it's been amazing seeing all of the new ideas and the strength and the resiliency of the industry. Of course, we all can't wait until this is all a lot easier. But in the meantime, it's been very、um, uplifting to see what people have been able to accomplish during this time. Yeah. Um, I met you many years ago.、Um, That's right. You were running a restaurant. So you've been in the food business for a very long time. Yeah.、Um, can you give the viewers a little bit of your background in the、yeah. food industry? Sure. So I think my, my passions are actually、um, all mixed together now in my, in my current life. So when you look backwards, all these things seem a little disparate, but they did come together for me, I think, in, the, in this time in my life anyway. When I first came to Japan, I was teaching teachers how to use technology. So I was,、um, and this is a long time ago when technology looked really different than it does today. So I did that for about three years in, in Kagawa. So I was in a more rural area of Japan. I really loved it. And then my husband and I moved up to Tokyo about 20 years ago. So we've been in Tokyo a long time now. And、uh, I was a little burnt out from teaching and being an educator. I was an educator in the US and then in Japan. And so my other passion was really about food and,、um, and all of that. So I went into the food business. I was introducing、uh, wines from California to the Japanese market. Then I worked for other restaurants. Then I ran my own restaurant and catering business.、Um, and so it's been, yeah, it's been quite a journey. And then about eight years ago, I got into tourism. So that's been really good. Uh, and so now, and it's a food tour company too. So that means that、uh, everything kind of came together to,、uh, to kind of link those passions technology, food, and travel. That's awesome.、Um, you guys have an excellent website. You also are on Facebook quite actively. Is it also Instagram? Where's your main channels where people can find you? Yeah, so we're mostly active right now on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.、Um, but we also are starting to play around. We're getting ready to finally do some stuff on、um, TikTok. My, my partner, Anne, in the business has been really active on TikTok. She's got a great channel highlighting Japan and her family, if you want to check that out. But Arigato Japan is going to be 
active there more. And then we've really started um, doing a lot of fun stuff over on Pinterest where people can kind of gather images to plan their trip to Japan. So that's been really fun as well. That's very linked to our blog and our, our Instagram and our Facebook. But I would say we're, we're taking on each channel when we feel like we've got the bandwidth to do it. Um, and I have to give a shout out to my marketing manager, Jess. Uh, her handle on Twitter and everything is Wired Jess. And she really helps us manage all of our social media. So I'm quite active supporting her, but she's really the leader in that area. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Pablo, for joining from the HAPS team and for the award. Any awards given during this talk, like usual, I will share with my guest, of course, 50-50. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, I noticed one thing about your tour company, which I haven't seen with many other tours in Japan yet, is you also have some Spanish guides. So you offer some of your tours in Espanol, right? Yeah, so cool of you to notice that. So um, what's interesting about our company is that we are pretty much 60% of our guides are local Japanese and about 40% are long-term foreign residents in Japan. And they come from all over the world. So we've created this really international mix of people. We have about 70 freelance guides that work with us and a few of them work with us full time in other capacities and um, Alex our training manager is Spanish he's from Mexico I mean he's he's from Mexico speaks Spanish so really early on we started to do some tours in Spanish and it's great that you brought that up right now because later by the end of this month we'll be launching our online experiences in Spanish as well on the website so we can do um, we can do walking food tours now in Spanish and then we'll be doing quite a few of the online tours. We have several Spanish speaking guides in, in all of the cities that we're in. So uh, we added that on and it was exciting because there are some great platforms. You know, everybody's familiar with TripAdvisor and places like that and they offer multilingual, but nowadays there's um, travel platforms selling tours specifically for the Spanish speaking market. So we work with a lot of those kinds of partners and we're excited that hopefully after COVID, um, that will be another really great group of guests that come and visit us. We love meeting people from all over the world. So yeah, we're doing it in Spanish now. We'd love to work in um, Italian and French as well. We have one Italian guide, but she just spent the last year um, in Europe actually. So she'll be back in June so we can start to do some tours in Italian as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I love that multifunctionality. And that's something I often talk to local destinations or businesses involved in tourism about is not just having translators. No. Just having people who can speak English or speak the language, but people who are able to connect because they have a deeper understanding of the information and they know how to connect to people and they can speak another language, right? That's really key. So yeah. And one of the. Yeah, one of the really cool things about us as a company, and I hear this, I mean, I hate to like, I, I, this is a lot of this is going to come off as me bragging, but I'm really bragging about my team. They're really the ones that inspire me. But what I love is that our Japanese guides really love working with all of our international guides. And so it's not just sharing um, that deeper knowledge with the guests at the end. It actually has made all of us better guides because um, the Japanese guides can really inform us in a deep way, what it is like growing up in daily life in Japan and really understanding the kind of intricacies there. But the things that they don't know is they don't know what foreigners don't know. 
right? So they, so they may not explain something that seems super obvious to them, but it's incredibly interesting to visitors. And so our international travelers can kind of be that bridge between um, local Japanese uh, uh, guides and local Japanese businesses and foreigners coming in because we remember what we didn't understand, right? So we can ask all of those questions that don't necessarily occur to uh, just a Japanese run tourism company or tour guide. And what has been super gratifying to me is that our Japanese guides talk about how much they love that. Like they love being in this international environment and we love learning from them. They have taught me so much, even after living here for 20 years, I'm always learning something new from all of our guides. Yeah. Awesome. And I've done some training with Japanese guides uh, about how to connect more with inter inbound tourists. And I know that you're doing that too. Um, one of the things that I always uh, try to encourage them to do is think less like an expert and listen more and try to make your tour case by case depending on your group. And I, I was listening to your um, podcast with Tourpreneur yeah. tour, uh, show, and you were talking a little bit about that. And I think that that's a real, and I think even abroad too, not just Japan, but the typical trained tour guide yeah. is trained to say so much information. Yeah, it's crazy. That the user or the visitor usually cannot take in. No. Nope. And, and is it something that they really want to know about, right? So in that way, yeah. not only the international residents who have that ability to bridge, but hopefully we can also train the local Japanese guides how to become bridges in, in terms of engaging not just telling, right? Yeah, I think everybody in our industry needs to think about that more. It's like, you have a lot of great information that you wanna share and that gives a depth of knowledge. But, you know, the world has access on the internet now to a lot of all of the surface facts and data. And when people travel, when Japanese people travel overseas as well, I mean, one of the things that you're looking for is, what do locals do? What are the local stories? What What is daily life like? What, I'm traveling to this new place, not just to find out, you know, historical information or expertise, but I want to connect with the world. And that's what we train the most on. We did a really great um, webinar on storytelling and also even more importantly on sharing history. It was called sharing history with a human touch. And it was all about reminding guides um, you know, international guides, Japanese guides, we all need to remember that history is about people. And the way to make history engaging is to focus on the people that are a part of that story, right? So I think that that is really uh, something that we all can remember on our tours. Um, and like you said, being a great guide is at least 50% listening, right? So listening to what your guests are interested in. Uh, we asked a question to our Japanese guides once, actually, we asked all our guides, what's the most interesting question that you get on the tour? What's the most frequent question or interesting question that you get from your guests? And a really lovely uh, Japanese guide we work with named Chie down in Osaka and Kyoto. She said to me, and this was a great reminder, she said it always depends on mostly what the guest's profession is. So she said, if I have a doctor on the tour, they want to know a lot about the healthcare system in Japan. And if I have a teacher, they want to know about schools. And if I have a student, they want to know what it's like to be in university here. And so I think that speaks to what you're saying about tailoring your experiences 
um, and listening to the people that you're engaging with, meeting them where they are and where their interest is. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, another thing I really love about all the tour options that you're offering is it's possible, and I think a lot of visitors to Japan don't realize this, but a lot of these options are possible anywhere in Japan. Yeah. So for me, the whole future of tourism is about spreading people out. How right. can we get people outside the most popular places to really enjoy Japan in the rural areas, in the smaller cities, yeah. and have these amazing experiences? But you can pretty much have these experiences everywhere. Yeah, and to add on to that, so we've been doing a lot of work reaching out into other prefectures and trying to kind of, I think COVID has given everybody a good time to think about really finally getting people off of that golden route, only going to Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, maybe making it down to you guys in Hiroshima. Um, but I would add to that, that even in those bigger urban areas um, where you're going to maybe, you, you know, when you come to Japan the first time, of course you want to see Kyoto. But, you know, I was talking to another tourism professional that runs the destination management um, company, Kyoto by the Sea. And it's all the regional area around the city, which nobody goes to, which is super fascinating. Or down where you are in Hiroshima, we created a food tour down there with locals in Hiroshima. And we did it because a lot of people go down, they see the Peace Dome and they go to, the, to Miyajima Island, but they don't realize that there's this vibrant food scene and all of these little neighborhoods all around downtown Hiroshima with great local businesses that I don't think visitors get exposed to. And so even in your own city, you can seek out the smaller places and have these really authentic experiences that you can do anywhere, like you said. Yeah. And I mean, we, we know that in Hiroshima, my husband and I have been doing a regional website for many, many years. And that's the reason we started it is yeah. to get people to choose places that aren't the typical places. Maybe there's an event going on. So check out Get Hiroshima. Maybe there's a special food festival outside, sake festival. You know, these are things that usually in the guides or non-local people don't really know about, or even international residents don't often know about, right? So exactly. We, use our local connections so yeah we love your site we used it a lot for our own research and you know we've come down to work with our guides down there many times because we always build kind of from the bottom up and so we we asked our guides but we also really used your resources as a reference and just a big shout out to hiroshima uh, prefecture the city the area around there there's a lot of super innovative stuff happening um, down there. We just were talking yesterday, so I'm, I'm hoping I'm not jinxing this, but I have to tell you because I think you'll be excited about this, JJ, but we're talking to a small town in Hiroshima that may do a online experience with us. So we connected yesterday with uh, Jiseki Kogen, and uh, they're like way up in the highlands uh, and don't and but they're really forward thinking about wanting to let inbound guests know about them. And so this is what's really exciting to me is I think this this combination now of online learning and online travel with um, preparing for the future of uh, more normal travel that gives us this opportunity because if people get to know these smaller places before they come to Japan through an online experience, then they can add it into their itinerary um, before they get here and they can dream of going to these really authentic, wonderful spots. And I think the mistake that's been made in Japan a lot in the past is that, you know, a lot of those smaller towns have created tourism materials, but they're like brochures 
or websites without a connection to a more global audience. And it's too late. Like so many people get to Japan and then they see these pam beautiful pamphlets and beautiful ads in Japan. But by then their plan is already really set. They've already got their hotels and all that stuff. And so it's, it's a little too late to reach them. And what I'm so excited about with online travel is we can make these deeper connections and we do all of our tours live with our guides as a host. So people can ask questions, they can feel connected and so they can feel more courageous to go off the beaten path because they feel like they've made some friends here before they arrive. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you have a lot of really interesting online tours uh, going virtual during coronavirus has been so important yeah. for so many travel companies. Um, can you talk about some of the more popular ones? I know you're very passionate about the tea, yeah. the tea programs. So there's a couple of things I wanted to mention about our online experiences. So the, the we started, we were one of the first companies in Japan to launch. Um, and we, right from the beginning, you know, we, when we were trying to decide to do it or not to do it, which I think a lot of tour companies were doing all over the world, like, do we go into virtual or not? Um, we What we did was we went on some of the early adopter experiences. I remember distinctly, we went on a coffee one in Mexico and a tour, a kind of a tour around the city one in Paris. And on both of those experiences, like the light bulb went off that this was just not going to be only for COVID. That this was really a way to connect, like I was saying, and use this for people who can't travel in the normal way. So it's great for accessibility issues, but also um, to plan your trip before you can go. And so when we were on the Paris one, there was like six of us on this tour. And at the end of it, all of the people were asking the guide for his contact information. And they said, you know, when I can travel to Paris again, I would love to connect with you. So this is also for all the tourism professionals out there, you don't make a lot of money on these experiences, but you it's a really great lead generator. It's like one of the best marketing tools um, that, we, that we have in our toolkit right now. And we feel like uh, we're getting really loyal guests. So a lot of our people that go on our online experience, they choose one that they're like immediately interested in, but then they end up taking many more. Um, and then I would say like, yes, I'm super passionate about the green tea one and also the Mount Fuji one. But for an interesting reason, uh, first of all, I love green tea, but both of those tours, we did them in collaboration with Shizuoka Prefecture with their DMO called uh, Travel Shizuoka Japan. And so having that local connection as we built the tour, and they're always sending us stuff to update it. And um, so that one was really fun because we could really uh, go outside of what we already know and really connect with locals in those areas to make the best possible experience. And we really believe the experiences should be highly interactive. Um, on the tea one, I actually brew tea with the guests that are on the experience. Um, it's just really, really a wonderful way to connect. And we surveyed guests for both of those experiences. Um, and it was great seeing that like 70 to 80% of the people surveyed said that because of the online experience, they were now planning that when they come to Japan, they want to go and spend more time in that area. Because, you know, the Mount Fuji area on the Shizuoka side, it's often like a flyby on the Shinkansen. And people, if they're not climbing the mountain, they don't realize all the wonderful things to do there. And so it was really gratifying to hear people say like, uh, we even asked them, like, now that you've had the experience, how many days would you allocate in your itinerary to go there? And a lot of people said two or three days, which is a huge difference for that area, because a lot of people don't spend much time there if they stop over at all. Yeah, no, it's a great way to introduce 
like pre-travel experiences. And then people might want to follow up in the future once we can travel again with real travel experiences. And then like Louise Poppy mentioned, I talked to her the other day. She is an online travel guide in uh, Auckland, New Zealand. And she also has visited Japan. So we talked about both her experiences that she offers online through HAPS and other online platforms in New Zealand, but also about her trip in Japan and talked a little bit about what she did when she brought groups or, or herself traveling over here. And it's, it's really interesting um, to hear that the outside tour guide's perspective of not only their area, and then we think, oh, we can do that too in Japan. Oh, what a good idea. Yeah, exactly. And then also her view of when she came to Japan. So that was a, that was really interesting. Um, yeah, our a lot of people complain about the technology side of it, right? Yeah. That it's so, it's so difficult to start offering these things online. Um, you guys found any technical issues or were you able to transition okay? So I, I, first I want to just jump back. One last thing about the green tea tour is, and this is just a shout out again, because my team is so amazing. That tour was actually picked up as one of the top 15 online experiences in the world. Um, and it was written about in Forbes magazine. And what we were really proud of is that we were listed along with big experience providers like Airbnb and people like that. So that that's a real feather in our cap. And we're really excited about it. And it brought uh, a lot of benefit to Shizuoka Prefecture as well. So we're hoping a lot of other municipalities, prefectures, towns around Japan will will work with us to create new experiences. We are 100% ready. We've built a, a system where we can work with the local community to build an online experience and um, in about six weeks and run it for a year. So um, that's kind of the package that we're promoting. And then um, to go on to your like tech questions, what I would say is uh, and this is kind of controversial. A lot of tour operators uh, want to do the like live walk around tours. And I think those can work if you're very tech savvy, but they're a little bit um, dangerous. And so I would say that the best thing to do when you're designing your online experience is um, so in Japan, we've got great bandwidth, right? So we have really stable internet in Japan, but that's not true everywhere. So we try to design the experiences so that they work best for kind of the lowest common denominator of technology. So think about, you know, my mom comes on these experiences and she has an older laptop and she's not that technologically savvy. She loves being on the internet, but she's always learning. And so I always want to make it so that my mom could do it easily. So I would say like, think about your, think about your audience and make it as easy for them to follow along and interact as possible. And then, you know, throw back just to what we were talking about before. It's not so much about the technology. It's about the story and the interaction. So just like being a, a, a walk around real life tour guide, think about what you want to share, make it super engaging, um, listen to the audience, give them time to ask questions. Those are all the most important things. And you can always build on the technology. Like we learned a ton. We launched our first tour at the end of March last year. Um, and they're very different than they are now. And that's one of the great, that's one of the great things about online experiences is you can always update them and add to them. So we're always finding new things. We have a tour um, in downtown. It's like Shizuoka, um, not Shizuoka, Shinjuku and Shibuya. We have an online experience 
introducing those two neighborhoods. And so, of course, in the Shinjuku part, we talk a little bit about Godzilla. And yesterday there was news about this new amusement park in Tokyo that's going to have this amazing Godzilla ride. So like I can go immediately into that online experience slide stack and I can talk about, I can add that in, right? Like we can keep it super updated. And I think that that's going to be great for travelers because so many things are going to change after COVID. Some places that we love are closed. Lots of new things have opened because people had time to build. And if you're doing an online tour, you can easily update that information and give travelers like the most updated information that you have. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome branding, um, not only for your business, but I think awesome branding for Japan in terms of um, bringing people back to Japan when travel is possible, right? And, you know, reaching out to people that maybe can't travel. So we are working with a great travel partner. You guys should all check out. And if you're a tourism pro on this, um, maybe look at hosting your tours there. But there's a platform called Beyonder. And their whole focus, they were the first platform um, that was focused only on online experiences there's another one like that called tour hq that's all online but beyonder actually their target market is like maybe older retired people that can't travel anymore people with super young kids that maybe have to save up for a trip to japan um people with accessibility issues where travel might be very difficult for them and i love that this opens the market up to those millions of people that might not be able to get here, but still have that wanderlust. So we always try to make the the travel experience online like you had a chance to go and see and do. Um, of course, we want to inspire people to come here in the future, but we also we don't want we want to make it possible for people to feel like they traveled here online as well. Yeah. Well, that might actually be the future of travel. We don't really know until at least the end of the year how things are happening with the vaccines and whether travel is going to be immediately possible. We still have a lot of international students or people who can't come back to Japan for work yet. Yeah, so we don't we don't know if inbound travel is going to really be possible until at least next summer, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned, and I know this show is a lot about sustainability and, and, you know, a lot of people think about sustainability in, in terms of that environmentally sustainable angle, but sustainability is also about, uh, you know, we, we're kind of focused on re-looking at all of our foundations in Arigato Japan through the lens of like three pillars of sustainability. So one is the environmental impact, but the other two are community and economy. And so like you said, we're not just promoting ourselves on these experiences. In fact, at the end of the experience, when someone comes on, we provide a resource pack afterwards and we can hop we can add all kinds of links for you know things that they can order from japan overseas or companies that we featured or you know other experiences that they can like classes they can do online so we're really trying to support all of the local economies in the places that we talk about as well and i think that's that's something that we're really passionate about is telling local stories, supporting local business, supporting small business. This is all something really in our wheelhouse. My partner, Anne, and I are fierce, fierce supporters of entrepreneurs and small business people. And, you know, one of the hardest things for me in COVID working first in the food industry and now in the travel industry is seeing how many people are affected by this. And so we all need to do 
what we can to keep these small businesses alive so that at the end of this, it's not just all about big companies coming in and taking over. Um, we want to make sure we're supporting all those folks as much as we can. Absolutely. And you're providing a much higher quality experience by bringing in local, more local people into the engagement. You're not only the tour guide who's doing all the translation, you're engaging with the customer, you're asking the local business people questions, you're yeah. giving them a chance to engage with each other as well. Yeah. This is so important in this future of tourism, I believe, or online tourism. It's awesome. Yeah, it's also just way more fun. <laughs> you know, I have to say on our side, the, yeah. the whole idea, we always say that we're like story collectors and story thieves. And I get the best stories just going out and talking to people, getting them involved in creating the online experience. I was blown away, like, uh, to, to go back to uh, Jiseki Kogen in Hiroshima, like, they have an international boarding school like up in the, for elementary school kids, like up in the mountains, uh, you know, in Hiroshima prefecture, like who would have known that? And I'm so curious uh, to find out more about their story. They also have the only um, tower, I think in the world maybe, but certainly in Japan that was designed just for launching paper airplanes. Like that is so cool to me. Like I get super geeked out about stuff like that. So I'm totally excited to talk with the locals, get the story behind that. Why was it built? Who built it? Whose idea was it? And then tell the world about that because that's super cool, you know? And that's one of the things in Japan is there's all these people, like you said that a lot of guides have to be careful not to just be experts. But, you know, in Japan, we're also so good. It's such a nation of specialists that what we can do as tour guides and tourism professionals is get in touch with those experts and then tell their story in a really human way. Right. So, like that's kind of the goal is really like capitalizing on the fact that Japan has an expert in everything you could imagine. Right. Like and then finding those stories and expressing them in the world. I think people just don't even understand the depth of the experience here that you Absolutely. can have. Well, that's that's why I wanted to start my own business. And right? maybe that's where your passion came from to start this business, too. I wanted to highlight all the amazing people that aren't getting uh, the light shined on them yeah. you know, that are doing such amazing work for culture or tradition or sustainability or food or whatever, you know, and just they're in their lane. They're so focused doing such an amazing job, you know, and they need a little bit of attention. Let me give a, a shout, shout out to some of the great comments. Uh, Mandy says, I agree that virtual tours has longevity and even allow us to do more thematic tours highlighting things you couldn't link together on a regular walk. Yeah, so true. Thanks, Mandy. Uh, Lisa mm -hmm. says, a great idea to participate in virtual tours before you visit a new place. We always appreciate the smaller local restaurants or businesses when we travel. It is easy to find the tourist traps, which are expensive and doesn't always reflect the local tradition. That's yeah. a really good point. Thank you. Uh, Allison Miyake from Facebook as well says, I've seen the paper airplane tower on TV. There is a guy there who tried to build the world's biggest paper airplane and then launched it from there on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I have to meet that guy. I want to tell his story to inbound travelers. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you, I want to give uh, a little credit to, you've got a great Arigato YouTube channel as well with some really interesting videos. 
Um, some of your videos, for example, on YouTube for free and just part of your great branding, I think, um, you're teaching people how to make miso online, which I thought was really fun. Yeah, two of our guides went to a homestay experience and did a miso class and we wanted to share that. Our YouTube is still, I, I would have to say, we're still babies at YouTube. We don't have a huge presence there yet, but it's something we're definitely super interested in. And we always try to capitalize on all the superpowers of our various guides. And we have two guides now that are really good video editors. So keep an eye on the YouTube because we'll hopefully be able to do some more things there. I wanted to jump back real quick to something you were saying about the specialists and, and, and our outreach. Um, the other thing I think we have a challenge in as tourism professionals in Japan that might be unique. I think there's probably other places in the world, but certainly I see it more in Japan, especially in reflection against my own culture in the U.S., is there's all these amazing people and families that have been doing things for literally hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and you would never know if you don't ask them. And because of the language barrier, it's quite hard to ask. So for example, we're doing a new um, walking food tour in Yoshiwara, which is a small neighborhood on the Tokaido road um, in the middle of Fuji city. And this community, this Shoten guy has, you know, 400 years of history, really amazing. And we walked into this housewares shop when we were doing the research to build the food tour. We walked into this houseware shop called Naito. And uh, the reason we went there is our local connection there was saying like this guy that runs this shop, it's in the whatever 10th generation or something like that. I'm not exactly sure of all my facts, but it's been here many, many years. And he is kind of head of the Shoten Guy Association. So we went in and I, I asked them how old the shop was. And they started talking to me and they dug behind the cash register and they pulled out this like plastic covered old photo of the shop from like 300 years ago. And it was a fascinating photo. And then they showed um, early wrapping paper from the like the 1940s and 50s that they used to use with an older logo. So they started digging out all this stuff. And I was immediately struck by the fact that if there was like a 400 year old shop in some town in the US, there would be a big plaque on the outside. There would be like photos on the wall that everyone could see. Like there'd be this big shout out about the, the history. But I think in Japan, folks are a lot more humble about their expertise and their history. They don't want to come off as, you know, bragging about it and things like that. So if we as tour professionals don't push and get those stories, people could walk right by that houseware shop and never know that it's got this amazing, fascinating story. And then once you get them talking, the great thing is then they're really happy to tell you everything about the history of their store. They were showing us all these different old artifacts that are not for sale, but were old time housewares. And like once we open up the box, there's so much information, but you're not going to see it on the surface. And I think that's where, you know, digging deeper and then thinking about the sustainable side of community and economy is so important. It's like getting those stories out because folks are not gonna talk about it themselves unless somebody asks. Absolutely. I 100% agree. That's so important. And you're, you're right when you say it's also more interesting for you as a tour guide. Yeah. Right. That's one of the things I always talk about if I do workshops with Japanese tour guides is what are you curious about when yeah. you travel abroad? What is it that interests you? Where do you want to spend time? 
yeah. not just click the famous photo, but where do you enjoy spending time when you're traveling? Yeah. Right. And, and that is what you should think about introducing to visitors when they visit your town. Yeah. And when you're walking around your town that you know too well, try to look around and try to see it with fresh eyes. And exactly. that's, that's a wonderful thing about taking travelers around is they're seeing it with fresh eyes. You can like revisit where you live and be like, oh yeah, that is interesting. That's the hugest gift of working in this industry. And I literally appreciate that gift every single day is that, you know, I've lived in Japan 23 years now. I find out something new every single day, some new story, some new connection, and I get to see it through uh, all of these other people's eyes, um, both the locals that you talk to, like in your own town, when you start to uncover and, and, and show what you wanna show, you're gonna find stories that you didn't even know where you live, right? And then you get the, you get the thrill of sharing that with someone else. And then they're going to ask you a question, uh, a shout out to one of our guides, Haruka. She tells this great story. She takes people on tours in Akihabara and uh, you know, everyone knows it as electric town and geeky anime and manga and stuff like that. But she tells this great story of how it, the economy around that neighborhood started out when soldiers came back from the war, they sold small electronic parts to a technical university in that neighborhood. And so there was this circular economy between the, the soldiers selling like wires and switches and this electronics technical school that was used buying those things to make their projects. Um, and so nowadays, those little specialists that sell like one guy will sell like just LED lights. He's got some little booth under the tracks and in the buildings around Akihabara. And one of the great so she used to tell that story. And then one, on one of her tours, one of her guests asked, like that booth is so small, how do they get in and out of there? So she was like, oh, wow, that's a good question. So she asked the shop owners and they said, oh, we have, and he showed her, they have like a little latch door under the counter and they literally have to crawl in and out of their little booth every day. And she would have never known that if someone hadn't asked. So there's this like cycle of storytelling where you uncover part of the story, you get more questions, you uncover more of the story, you make more connections. Like it's just so, gratifying it's like really the best part of this job for sure yeah that's awesome um allison says also easier to ask on someone else's behalf yes you can go deeper when you are guiding others and ask questions you would normally be too shy to ask for yourself that's yeah i agree true. Although I'm not shy at all, JJ. <laughs> I don't have that problem, Allison. Oh, I I, that. I'm just I willing to ask. <laughs> I, I just ask all the, I, when I'm the nightmare guest on a tour, because when everyone else is ready to move on to the next spot on a tour, I've, you know, I've already got 10 more questions that I want to ask. So I'm always the person where like when I'm traveling in Europe or overseas or in Southeast Asia, the guide will usually say at least once on the tour, um, why don't I get back to you about that after the tour? Because I always ask maybe five too many questions, right? <laughs> but, that, but that is great for a tour guide to be able to say. That's a, mm -hmm. that's also something I often suggest to tour guides who are trying to uh, give tours for international people. Don't say you don't know. If right. you don't know, that's fine to say you don't know. But say, hey, I will check that for you. Or realize that you are in a fantastic position to ask someone who does know because usually yeah. you're standing right next 
to staff or people that you can communicate with yeah. because you're not struggling with the language barrier. So don't feel shy yeah. to ask other people around you to help answer the question. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's a big hurdle for a lot of qualified guides because they don't want to seem like oh, yeah. they're not experts. Yeah. And I always tell them, you know what, to me, that makes it seem like you're more of an expert. Yeah, I agree. You, you can transcend things you don't know instead of saying, I don't know, let's move on. Right. And I've rarely run into the case where someone that I was asking the question to wasn't super like excited to share, like so gratified that someone asked. Like we we worry about like bothering them or taking too much of their time, but people want to share and they might not know how to share that story. And I'm sure when Haruka asked that guy, like, how do you get in and out of your, your box? I think he, he probably felt like it was pretty fun to share that information, right? Like that somebody noticed and asked the question and cared about like how he runs his business. That's, that's fun. And I've, I've rarely, you know, every once in a while you run into somebody who's a little grouchy or too busy or having a bad day. And that that's just how it is. And I just don't take it personally. If they don't want to answer the question or they're not feeling like engaging, it's okay. But I would say in a hundred times that happens maybe once, right? Like I think it's not really a risk. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, can you tell us about some of the tours? Because I was looking on the website, you guys have such a wide range of tours. Yeah. Can you tell us um, ones you're particularly passionate about or ones that are popular? Give us a little run through. Uh, well, first of all, I have to I have to make a little joke here. So my husband is our IT guy. We have a, it's a very family run business. Anne and her husband, me and my husband, we all kind of keep everything running. And he always, as the IT guy who helps us put up all these tours, he's always like, "You have too many tours," but I don't think there's any such thing. I think uh, we are always excited to add new things. Um, and so a shout out. So I love that we have a really broad range. Um, and I should explain to all of the, the viewers that might not have caught this from the beginning, um, our specialty is culinary tourism. So we believe that the quickest, most compelling way to connect with culture is sometimes through the food. So we don't just, you know, introduce guests to different kinds of food, but we use it as a gateway to talk about all kinds of cultural elements in Japan. I would say Japan is fairly obsessed with food. Um, and so a lot of things that we do see and eat are directly related to a much longer history, a much longer story. So that's kind of the focus of what we do. And then I would say like for first timers in Japan, our all-star tour in Tokyo is a super great one. Um, it's really good if it's your first visit. I personally like some of the, the deeper, more hidden ones. In Kyoto, we love taking people to Uji. As you know, I'm a green tea fan. So I love going to the oldest, you know, tea growing and matcha growing area in Japan around Kyoto. Um, I love our, in Hiroshima where you are, I love our tour in Saijo. I think a lot of people don't know that just within a very like 20 minute train ride from downtown Hiroshima, there's this amazing town that has, uh, I think nine sake breweries very close together, seven of them all within like a two kilometer walk. And they all have tasting rooms. They're all super amazing. The sake there is really, really good. Um, so I love that one because I think most inbound people would never know about it. They would miss it. Can I just add that quite often they are closed. So this is another reason why you want to hire a guide because they're gonna make sure that you are gonna go somewhere that's open. 
absolutely set it up in advance right yeah absolutely and they also um the guides will know so we keep that tour really flexible we don't visit every single brewery but because there are so many we we can they don't all, luckily they don't all have their closed day on the same day so there's always something fun to do inside joe so yeah but you're right like the local guide is going to be able to do so much for you there um which is i think true everywhere so i'm a big proponent of guided tours um because i think you should do a lot of independent travel and discover things but whenever you get to a new place the first thing you should do as a traveler is hire a good guide and have an experience because you're gonna see things in a much different way and it's gonna set you up for a much deeper experience throughout the rest of your tour you don't need to do guided experiences all the time but every trip you take should include some of that in my opinion so i really like that tour um we're launching we launched two new cities. So we've got that new tour in Yoshiwara, which is amazing. It's such a small area, but it's so much fun. And that one's all about local personalities. There's such a great collection of people there to share their stories that I really love it. And we, we took on a big challenge. We launched two new tours in Gotemba, also in, uh, in the Mount Fuji Shizuoka area. And Gotemba has kind of gotten uh, a short, a short shift these days most people just think of it as where there's this big like shopping outlet center outside of town but actually it has this amazing history and again really cool local people so we launched two tours a day tour and a night tour in that area that i think are really special um i love all our tours so it's like picking a favorite child it's not that easy <laughs> So hard, right? So I especially love, I guess I would say my favorite, favorite tour to guide is Tsukiji. And that's funny because it's such a popular, well-known area, but I think we give a totally different experience when you come with us to Tsukiji. We shop there as locals. So we know all of the local vendors really, really well. Like my husband and I are, are gonna go to Tsukiji after this uh, online today. Uh, we're gonna drive there to do our shopping. And because of that, when I take guests around, it's like introducing them to all my friends in the market. And that's really fun. That's awesome. Uh, one thing I I would suggest to people uh, traveling in Japan is if you can stay two nights at least somewhere. Yeah. And I would what I like to do is wander around the streets and stuff once you arrive for the first night, and then the next day you hire a local guide, you do an organized tour, and you have so many more things to ask about. Yeah, because you've already kind of seen it a little bit and you're really excited about the tour because you have so many questions or so much insight that you feel like you've missed. Right. By just walking around on your own. So yeah. that, that makes you value, I think, the guided tour more. I yeah. would definitely not recommend people come in for a half day, just do a guided tour and leave. I think you're missing a lot of the depth that you definitely need to um, get value from your guided experience for sure. Yeah, and I agree with you 100%, but I would, on the flip side of that, if it's really impossible for you to spend a longer time somewhere, then definitely get a guide. Because if you're only gonna be there a short time, if you only walk around on your own, if you're only there for, if you can only fit in a half day or, or a day, um, then it's even more important to connect with a local because you're not gonna understand what you're looking at. And um, yeah, I, I think you'll just have a much better experience if you, if you do have a short time, you should also hire somebody locally.
No, I agree. I, and then maybe you can come back in the future. I was yeah. just kind of against the idea of just going a half day anywhere. And then me too. Me too. Time. I, I hate that kind of stuff. That's my favorite. Yeah, please I, don't do that. I 100% <laughs> agree. I 100% agree. It's like fit it in when you can fit it in and be real about it. Because, you know, if you're rushing to, you're going to be stressed. You're not going to really have kind of an open heart and an open mind and you don't have any time to reflect on what you're seeing another recommendation i would make to japanese tour companies and tour guides is and this is a common problem so besides training our own guides as you mentioned we do training programs for other guides all around the country and when they're creating a new product we always remind them not to overpack the day because people need time to absorb what you're showing them and ask questions they need to rest they may not be as used to the weather or the the walking or whatever and so you don't want to be like jamming everything in of course you have so much you want to share and i know that's always the tension is like i want to show them everything um, but you can't do that and so you have to kind of build in some time on our walking food tours we have four or five food stops on every tour and at least one stop is a sit down time where we so because some of the tours you know you're doing walking street food bites or a really short quick stop but there's always one stop where we spend a little more time we sit down around a table together and that's always where the most interesting questions come out where people can relax and reflect on what they've tried so far you can get to know them better they can get to know you better and so building that in has value i think a lot of times japanese um small businesses when they create a tourism company they think that the value is only showing the guest as much as they can fit in to a certain amount of time but that is a real disservice because they again remember that guests are coming because they want a local experience they want to connect with local people they want to understand what they're seeing and all of that takes a little bit more reflection, a little bit more relaxation, a little bit more time. And so, you know, I've been on so many monitor tours around the country when uh, a prefecture wants to do a new program, they will bring us. And one of my co most common pieces of advice is you're trying to do too much in a certain amount of time. It's like you, you have these amazing experiences, but when you crush them all together, um, nobody has time to like absorb what you're showing them. Yeah. Well, I, I've done a lot of monitor tours as well. And quite often, if you if you ask them why there's so much on the schedule, they'll say, oh, because we, we want to know which one is the most popular. We're not actually planning to have this packed of a schedule, but we're only hiring you for two days. <laughs> so yeah. we're trying, trying to get the most money out of you. But so that's a really tiring thing about being a monitor. But I love having that interaction with the planners i really yeah. enjoy that part of it as well yeah and we've seen both where you know they uh, of course i know that a lot of times they're just trying to take advantage of our time but some of the things that i've been on are actual packages wow. that are already written up and they're they want us to try it and i would say even those um, there's often just too much in a short amount of time. Like there's only, you know, you need to leave breaks inside your experience, whatever you're creating, mostly because of reflection, mostly because people can't absorb what they're seeing that quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think uh, travelers often do it to themselves. And yeah. I, 
for sure. So, you know, like planning too much in a week long trip, yeah, trying to get across the whole country, which I totally understand because you're maybe thinking you're only coming to Japan once. Yeah. But the most happy visitors that I've met are ones either on a repeat visit just to one area, spending more time taking it slow. Or people who spend a month. I'm so yeah. impressed by European travelers who come yeah. to Japan for a month. Yeah, it's amazing. That's how I want to travel, man. Yeah. You know, this is so funny because I've been on both sides of that coin. When I was younger, I felt like I needed a checklist and to do everything and, and treat every trip like I was never coming back. And my husband has always been a lot more laid back and he wants always to have time to sit in a local cafe or a small restaurant after some meaningful experience and, and be able to reflect on what just happened and talk about it and, you know, have some kind of, of time. And uh, so over time, I've adapted more to him. But this is so common. Like this, this is a shout out to my partner Anne. She always, she's one of those travelers. She wants to take advantage of every waking moment that she is traveling, and so she really wants that super packed schedule. Um, and so I think, but she understands. It's funny as a as an owner, she gives the same advice to our guides, and we created the tours so that there's that rest time. But if she had her, uh, if she had her opportunity, it would be jam packed, like for sure. And her husband's more like my husband. He's like I want to rest in between I want to so there's always this like tension in travelers and I think yeah. it's great advice to travelers too. don't overpack your schedule you're gonna have um, like you mentioned at the top of this you can have these really authentic experiences all across Japan uh, and so you don't need to go everywhere pick a few key places maybe someplace famous someplace not so famous and then spend some time and and do lots of things but in one location so that you're not losing a lot of time trying to travel everywhere you know yeah and i i should uh backtrack a little bit when i say you can do almost everything everywhere so sometimes we'll have travelers who come to hiroshima and they'll say where can i see geisha right now i see ninjas right and you're like no <laughs> actually we can't do that here you yeah. know we can do a lot of things uh, we can make noodles, we can have, you know, deep culinary experiences, we can take you to historical and culturally rich places that you can find in other areas. But certainly, there are certain unique things you cannot see everywhere. Well, that's what's so exciting about Japan. What I took to mean when you said that at the top is like the the connections you can make, um, seeing tradition. Like if you talk in broad brushstrokes, having local regional food, um, seeing tradition, doing things in nature. You know, if you look at the broad strokes, you can do that everywhere. But what's so exciting about Japan is this celebration of regionality and seasonality. And we're really super focused on that because we're a culinary food tour company, you know, in Japan, every region has the things that they're super proud of, um, both in cuisine and, you know, uh, seasonal experiences and festivals. And so really definitely that's one of the exciting things about getting off the beaten track is every place you go is going to have something to share that's so unique to that place. And, and I really love that. So in the broad brushstrokes, we're all connected, but in those individual things, you know, you guys have this great location along the Seito Inland Sea, and there's so many things related to Hiroshima based on that location that are super exciting. And then up in Tokyo, you know, we've got this broad Kanto plain, and there's so much history that goes back to the Edo era and so many places that you can see reflections of that time that are very unique to this city. Yeah. 
And the, what I love about it, you know, most people do fly into Tokyo or Osaka, but one great thing to remember is how easy it is to get out from yeah. the cities into amazing Tohoku from Tokyo or yeah. amazing uh, rural areas from Osaka. It's really not hard. So definitely. Yeah, even for me being here so long, long, you know, I spent so many years in Tokyo and then I went and I was in Kagawa. So I was really comfortable doing the lower part of Honshu down into, you know, the top of Kyushu into Shikoku, but I never really explored Tohoku much until recently. And, you know, some of your other guests like Derek and Jessica, people that we've met on um, in our own monitor tours up there, but also you've introduced them on your show. There's so much to offer up there. And I, I can't wait to go back. I've been to Fukushima now, and I'm hoping to go back again once um, travel is a little bit more okay. I was supposed to be on a monitor tour there next week, but it's been postponed. Um, but we've been to Yamagata, we've been to Fukushima. I want to go to Ibaraki and Saitama and you know I really want to and Sendai I really want to get out and see more of the area above Tokyo yeah awesome um now we have five more minutes is there anything up and coming that yes. you're kind of passionate about you want to talk yeah. about Yes. So I'm so excited. Uh, one of the things I was super excited when you asked me is this timing is perfect for us. Um, you're going to be the first place that we announce this publicly, but uh, there's a great online site called Matcha that maybe many of your listeners might already know about. If you don't know about it, you should check them out. They're a really good content producer online. They produce content in like five languages and they talk a lot about culture and travel in Japan. And late last year, uh, like in the fall of last year, they launched the first ever crowdfunding platform in Japan um, that is focused on tourism and can raise money both locally and overseas. So most of the platforms can do one or the other um, and are not focused specifically on travel, but this one is. And the platform is called Japan Tomorrow. Um, and it is beautiful and there's great projects there. And so we've been trying to decide we told them back in October, we want to do something, but it took us a long time to decide what we wanted to do. And I'm super excited to announce this here because of your, your, your passion for sustainability. So we thought like, how can we do something exciting on this platform that we've always wanted to do? And I think Mandy, one of the people watching today was a real inspiration for this. Um, as food tour professionals, we have an environmental impact with our guests that we've struggled with. So, you know, a lot of our food tour stops use throwaway chopsticks or um, we need to get plastic water bottles for people to drink from if they don't have a reusable bottle. Um, and there's just ways that we wanted to um, reduce our environmental impact, but in a sustainable way that also includes our passion for the economy and community. So our crowdfunding campaign, which is going to launch hopefully by the end of this month, and we hope everyone will show up and support us, is we're gonna create, I think, the first ever very high quality travel uh, eco-sustainability kit that's gonna have you know, a handmade hand towel, handmade chopsticks. We're gonna work with the um, reusable and refillable water bottle app, MyMizu. I think you've had Robin on before. We're gonna create a special water bottle. This is gonna be in a beautiful kit that we will give our travelers when they come on the tour. Um, so we're first gonna raise enough funds to research, build the kit, 
and then uh, have at least the first few hundred that we're going to be able to give away for free. And then this will be something that people can also purchase in the future. But the thing that's really exciting about it is every element of the kit is going to come from a local craftsman or small business that has a story. And we're going to tell all of those stories. And even that piece I'm excited about, we were like, how do we tell the story in the kit without printing some book or brochure? And we found a company that makes um, embroidered QR codes. So we're actually going to sti stitch a QR code onto our kit that will have this ongoing story series and blog about everything that's in the kit, but also about sustainable travel overall in Japan. So I'm going to be reaching out to you for introductions to include those stories because this platform that you will find through the kit should highlight experiences that you can have that are you know focused on sustainability in environmental consciousness in community in supporting small business so we're going to put this together um, we're hoping to set a pretty high goal and we're going to be brave and do it all or nothing so there's two ways you can crowdfund either keep it all or all or nothing but the matcha people told us that that sense of urgency everyone pulling together it's really going to depend on everyone in the community that we reach out to to make this happen and the last piece about it is you can probably tell from having me on the show and because we've known each other for a while um, i'm super excited to talk about this stuff and share people's stories so the last piece of this crowdfunding is we're already lining up ways to reach out to tourism and culinary tourism professionals around Asia and around the world and use this as a prototype so that other tourism companies can start to think about how they can create something for their guests that will have a longer impact. And we wanna make this kit so beautiful that you will use it on this trip, on trips that you take all over the world and even in your own hometown when you go home. So that's the announcement. We're super excited about it. I hope uh, I hope it's successful. Yeah. Yeah, really exciting. Um, and I noticed that, you know, like uh, on food tours, it's not just your food tours, it's, it's all of them. When you see things that are very high quality, it's always reusable glasses, reusable yep. hashi, um, yep. you know, beautiful water glasses. And when it's budget or cheap things, it's so much waste. And yeah. that is such a concern. So to have this kind of kit idea, yeah. where you give it to all of your travelers yeah. and you can really have a positive influence on even the budget places. Yeah. If everybody in your group is like, no, no, we got our own straws, we got our own water bottles, don't yeah. worry, you know, and then having even as a small company, having that influence, just planting a seed in people's mind thinking, oh, wow, well, that's a good idea. And it actually saves me money because yeah. I don't have to give them the trash, you know, yeah. that I have to buy. So. And we're so excited to work with the craftspeople. Like I can't wait to introduce the, the, the chopstick makers and introduce, we're going to use the tenigui, which we can show how you can use that in so many different ways. So I'm, I'm really excited to tell those stories. Yeah. There's so many wonderful things about Japanese culture that are so sustainable. We just have to look back even just 20 years ago, yep. even two generations and bring those back. There's yep. so many fabulous examples. Yep. Thank you so much, Lauren. It's been a great conversation. I, 
I think Allison was saying she's taking copious notes. <laughs> so I think people really did appreciate all of your insights. Thank you so much. Well, I'd love to connect with anybody offline. You can find, you know, uh, JJ, you make it so easy for people to see all of our, our social and everything like that. We'd love to have you all connect with us. And, you know, our online experiences are fun, even for people that live in Japan. I guarantee you, you'll find out some things that you never knew before. So we hope that we can meet more of your, your viewers and listeners after this as well that's fantastic thank you all so much for joining and uh great comments and questions today thank you everybody thank you so much lauren everybody have a great weekend and we'll see you back here for another round of talks next week yay great thank you jj thank you take care everybody bye, bye. have a great day i hope you enjoyed the episode today if you want to learn more about the work that i do have a look at inboundambassador.com you can also sponsor the work that I'm doing on the YouTube channel, Patreon, Buy Me a Coffee, Coffee, or Haps. Have a great day.